Thanks, Jack. That was mighty kind of you to bring that up for me. You're so tall. Do you hear that all the time? A little bit, yeah. Thank you. Okay. Ready? Okay. I feel like I just need to sit for a second. Um, about six months ago, <clears throat> I began to ask God to increase some things in my life, specifically some spiritual gifts in my life, and one of those was the gift of prophecy because I just so believe that God wants to speak to his church and that he wants to speak to us. And we have to be bold, and we have to say, okay, God, use me. Let me be one of the ones that you speak through. But can I just tell you that that's a really scary place to be? Because one of the things I know God's gifted me in is teaching his word and, and teaching Bible history, right? And it's, that's based on facts, and it's something that I can look at all the facts in the Bible and study all of the research and then tell you facts and I can stand on those facts and be confident in that. When God gives you a prophetic word, it's scary because it, it's hearing the voice of God and trusting that that's going to resonate with the people that you're sharing it with. So I just, I want you to know that God is not messing around with this church. He is not, he, he has not called us to a place of sitting still. When we started this church, the, the words that we used over and over and over and continue to use are stepping forward. And stepping requires movement. And so I, um, I hope that as you heard that word and as you hear what I'm about to talk about right now, that you would really grasp the place that we are in in this church. The place that we are at where we don't want to settle we don't want to stay silent. We don't want to sit down. We want God to increase in us the things that he has called us to do. You ready? Okay, here we go. Um, back in August when our teaching team met to talk about what was coming up for the rest of the quarter of 2017, we had this small inkling of a feeling. We had this idea. And when our team gathers together, and we plan and we pray for what is going to be spoken up here on this stage. We bring all of our ideas together and we put them on a big whiteboard. One of those ideas back in August was the word miracles. We thought, how great would it be to have a series about all of the miracles from the Bible? Teaching about all of the miracles. But even more importantly, teaching that miracles are not just a thing from the days of old, from Bible days, but they are still happening right now. And our hearts, something supernatural happened in that moment, and our hearts begin to stir about what that might mean. And then someone piped up and they said, yeah, and we should pray that God shows up and does miracles in our church and does miracles in our people during this series. And then Isaac Schaefer, where are you, Ike? There you are. Isaac Schaefer piped up, and I was all like, yes, come on. He says, I don't think we just ask for miracles to start happening in January when we start the series. We start asking now for the miracles. We start asking now for the healings. We ask God now to begin moving in our lives in this way. And so that is exactly what happened since August 
for six months, our team, our leadership team and our teaching team, we have been praying for miracles for you, for miracles for this church, for supernatural intervention in our lives. And it is happening. We are seeing it happen. Marriages are being restored. God is healing people's physical diseases. Babies are being conceived when it shouldn't be medically possible. I mean, come on now. That's a miracle. And it's just the beginning. This is just the beginning. And over and over and over again, we have been reminded and confirmed that this is from God. This is not just happening here. This is not just some emotional high that our little church is on. This is happening all over the world. And it's being confirmed through pastors and leaders and prophets all over the, all over the globe. 2017, we've heard it. Lots of people have said it. Lots of pastors and leaders have said it. 2017 was a hard year. 2017 was a, a wilderness year for many people, a year of pain and suffering and hardship. But 2018 is a year of miracles. 2018 is a year of breakthrough and restoration and revival. And I think that we will look back on these moments and we will say, that's when it began. And look what God has done. So I want us to start with a biblical foundation because we can have a feeling, we can have a prophetic word, we can have an emotional experience, but if it does not stand on the word of God, it's just that. It's just a feeling. It's just an emotional experience. So I want us to look at some examples from the Bible of miracles and different types of miracles. And really, the Bible is crammed full from the front to the back of miracles. It would take us a whole year if we went through all of them, if we started at the beginning and we went through all of them. But I think that this is God's proof in his word of his power. And it makes me even more convinced that miracles are not just for Bible times. Why would God tease us with acts of his love and of his power if it was just for back then? Be like, look what I did back then. Ha ha. Not for you today. I would suggest that his word that has stood through the ages is full of miracles because he wants us to have no doubt that this is who he is and it is in his character and he never changes. He doesn't decide that he is someone different today than he was 2,000 years ago. His word says, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I am convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that miracles are also for today, for 2018. So what is a miracle and why do they happen? Well, Webster's defines a miracle like this. It is a surprising and welcome event that is contrary to the established laws of nature or scientific laws and is therefore considered to be the work of a divine agency. I am all about science. Science class is awesome. But guess what? Miracles have nothing to do with science, and they have everything to do with God's power and his love. I would like to suggest that miracles happen for two reasons. 
The first is this, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, say it with me, that he gave his one and only son. You guys do not sound like you believe that. Let's try that again. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God's love for us, his love for you, his love for me, caused him to perform the greatest miracle ever recorded, sending Jesus to earth to die, to be raised to life, to redeem and draw all people back to himself. Love was the reason for that miracle. Love and God's desire to not be separated from his creation, to not be separated from you. The second reason I see for miracles happening is for God's own glory. To show his power and strength. For God to prove his own reputation. Here's the proof of that. Isaiah 48, 10, and 11. Yet for my own sake and for the honor of my name, I will hold back my anger and not wipe you out. I refined you, but not as silver is refined. Rather, I have refined you in the furnace of suffering. Many of us feel that. Many of us know that. That refinement in suffering. I will rescue you for my sake. Yes, for my own sake. I will not let my reputation be tarnished, and I will not share my glory with idols. Four times in that passage, God says, for my sake. For his own glory. God's ultimate goal is to uphold and display the glory of his name. Isaiah 43, verse 6. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, listen, whom I created for my glory. You are here solely for the glory of God. Psalm 106, 7. I love this one. Our ancestors in Egypt, listen, were not impressed by the Lord's miraculous deeds. May that not be said of us. They soon forgot his many acts of kindness to them. Instead, they rebelled against him at the Red Sea. Even so, he saved them to defend the honor of his name and to demonstrate his mighty power. Our very existence here on earth, the reason we exist is to bring glory to God. We think it's about us. We think we're here on earth because of us. We are not. We are here solely because of him and his name and his glory and his fame. Jesus' death on the cross was to make the righteousness of God known. Romans 11.36 says, From him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Miracles happen not for our sake, but for his sake. To make him known. This might surprise you, but miracles are about him. They are not about you. And when we shift our focus from miracles are for me 
to miracles are for his glory, it changes everything. The miracle becomes about God and not about us. And I think we sometimes have that backwards. We think the miracle is about us. But having the mindset that the miracle is about God will change how we ask God for miracles and how we respond to miracles. I also believe that when we start to think like this, God will begin to unleash his power in miraculous and mighty ways in our lives because he knows the outcome brings him glory. Are you with me? Do you hear what I'm saying? God will say, I am free to unleash this on you because you will give me the honor and the praise. So in my opinion, God does miracles because he so loves us and God does miracles for his own glory. Miracles come in all forms. There are small miracles. There are big miracles. There are healing miracles. There are financial miracles, and the list goes on and on and on. There are all sorts of miracles. And I am so excited because in the next few weeks, we're going to have people from our very own church come up here and share their miracles. When this church started, we immediately saw God do some miracles in some people's lives, and those were awesome, and we celebrate those, and we have cheered those on, and we have given God glory. But we cannot be satisfied with what God has done in the past. We have to say, God, we want more of you. We want a fresh anointing. We want you to fall on us and keep doing the miracles. We don't want to rely on what has happened. We give God glory, and, and we praise that, but we keep moving forward. So you are going to love these miracles that you're going to hear from people who have the boldness to come up here and say, this is what God did in my life, and the glory is for him. But I want us to look at a few from Scripture first before we get there. The first type of miracle that I see in Scripture, and it's, it's all over, is the miracle of physical healing. Some miracles are physical healings of our bodies and of our minds. And there are countless stories in the Bible of people's bodies being healed or even people being raised from death to life. And I believe that someday we will see that happen. We will see people raised from death to life. We're seeing it already in people's spiritual bodies as they are being raised from death in sin to life in Jesus. Here's the thing. If we believe God is the one who designed our bodies, the creator of our bodies, and as our creator, he knows how they function best, surely we should also believe that he is the God who can heal and restore our mind and our bodies. When we were growing up, my parents were so diligent in teaching us faith and teaching us that God was our healer, that Jesus was our healer. And I remember them telling us that our first response should always be to call out on the name of Jesus. So when we would fall down and get hurt or when something was wrong or when there had been a traumatic event, our first response was pray, Jesus, say the name of Jesus. And maybe we couldn't always spend time, you know, in a long prayer, but we would call out to Jesus first. And I'm so grateful that they taught us that because what it did was create this faith in me and this belief that Jesus had more power than anything else. And that when I called out to Jesus first, he was the one who was going to rescue me. 
So there were so many miracles in the Bible of this, it was hard to choose. But I settled on these two because they're back to back. They're in Luke 5, and I just love these so much. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 5. Verse 12. In one of the villages, Jesus met a man with an advanced case of leprosy. When the man saw Jesus, he bowed with his face to the ground, begging to be healed. If you remember a while back, Chris spoke on leprosy and how isolating and lonely it was. It wasn't just a physical disease. It was really, a, you, you lost everything. You lost your community, your family. You lost everything because you had to go off into isolation. Lord, he said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Jesus reached out, touched him, and I love this. He said, I am willing. Jesus is willing to heal you, to touch you and heal you and restore you. And then he said, be healed, and immediately the leprosy disappeared. And then we're going to move down to verse 17. One day, while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. It seemed that these men showed up from every village in Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem. Interesting that they didn't like Jesus, and they didn't believe him, but they still wanted to go be near him. And the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went up on the roof and took off some tiles. I wonder how the owner of the house felt about that. Then they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. Listen, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. Jesus saw the faith of his friends, and he forgave the sins of the young man. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law said to themselves, who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk. So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and he said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And immediately, as everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat, and went home, praising God. Seen their faith. Jesus said to the man, your sins are forgiven, and then he healed him. Sometimes it may be the faith of a friend that causes a miracle to take place. We have to stop holding back from sharing our needs with one another. You may need to lean on the faith of someone else's faith right now. You might need to lean on their faith, or someone might need to lean on yours. You know what I found? The people that I'm closest with in my life, the ones who see my highs and lows, 
the ones who know the good parts of me and the bad parts and still think I'm awesome. The ones who I am in true relationship. Sometimes it's my faith that stands in a faith gap for them. And sometimes when my faith bucket is low, it is their faith that takes center stage. A while back, a friend asked a few of us to believe in faith with her for an outrageous miracle. The kind of miracle that your first response is like, oh, I don't think I can ask. That's too risky. I don't think I can ask that because I really don't think that will happen. But after that first thought, it was quickly followed by this. Yes, of course I will ask. Yes, of course I will stand in faith with her. How could I not? We serve a God of the impossible. My friend said to me later, just the fact that you were willing to ask and believe with me, to stand in faith with me, made all of the difference in my own faith in this particular instance. My willingness to stand in faith and ask with her increased her faith to be able to ask this of God. Maybe your faith feels really small, but maybe it's just a little bit more than the friend next to you. And by you stepping out in boldness in your faith, it increases their faith, and their faith is strengthened. Don't hoard your faith. Share it. Give it away. Talk about it. Proclaim it. Throw it out like candy at a parade. Look around you and see where your faith can be the vehicle for someone else's miracle. Sometimes miracles are financial and provision miracles. Chris and I have had lots of these in our lives. We've had God provide for us in huge financial ways and in small provision ways. God says that he will provide for our every need. And we have found that to be not 80% true, not 99% true. We have found that to be 100% true. So for our Bible miracle, turn to 2 Kings chapter 4. I just love this story. One day, the widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elisha and cried out, My husband who served you is dead. And you know how he feared the Lord. So here we have a good man who served the prophet Elisha, and he's dead. But now a creditor has come and is threatening to take my two sons as slaves. What can I do to help you? Elisha asked. Tell me, what do you have in your house? Nothing at all except a flask of olive oil, she replied. And Elisha said, borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors. Here God is using friends and neighbors again to perform a miracle. 
Then go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you. Pour olive oil from your flask into the jars, setting each one aside when it is filled. So she did as she was told. Her sons kept bringing jars to her, and she filled one after another. Soon every container was full to the brim. Bring me another jar, she said to one of her sons. There aren't any more, he told her. And then the olive oil stopped flowing. When she told the man of God what had happened, he said to her, Now sell the olive oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on what is left over. God provides in miraculous ways for our every need. We don't have time to go into a lot more, but I want to hit on this one really quickly. Everyday miracles. I like to call these want miracles, okay? There are things that we need. There are things that God does as miraculous acts. And then there are things that he does for us that are just because he is a good, good father and he loves to give good gifts to his children. The Bible says that he will give us the desires of our heart. Now, there's no doubt that sometimes those desires are not right desires. I don't believe God is going to give us those, but he loves to give us things that, that sort of just remind us that he notices us. Okay, and I'm going to paraphrase this story because we don't have time to go into it all today. But basically, Jesus is at this wedding with um, his mother and the disciples. It's this wedding feast. You all know this story. It's famous. It's debated. Was it wine? Wasn't it wine? Who cares? It was definitely wine. And they're partying. Okay, the wine runs out. Now, Jesus, Jesus' mother looks at the servants and he says, whatever he tells you to do, they go to Jesus and they say, the wine has run out. And Jesus looks at them and says, what do you want me to do about it? He actually says, my time has not yet come. Like, people aren't supposed to know yet that I can do this. But because he is so full of grace and mercy, and he loves to give good gifts to his children. He loves to bless us and remind us, hey, I'm for you. He told the servants, this is, blows my mind, go get those jugs over there. And he made from water 150 gallons of wine. Not bottles, gallons. And then the master of ceremonies, which I would love to have a party with a master of ceremonies. What in the world? That is just awesome. He comes over to the bridegroom and he says, what are you doing? Why did you save the best wine for last? Normally you serve that at the end when everybody's had, you know, a little bit to drink and they don't know you're serving them cheap wine. And nobody but Jesus and the disciples, as it increased their faith and the servants, knew what had happened. Jesus cares about the things that matter to us. He delights in showing us miraculous moments in our everyday lives. He is a good, good father who loves to give good gifts to his children. So these are just a few examples of miracles. I would, I would beg you to open up your Bibles and let your faith be increased as you seek out and you read those miracles that God did in days of old and what he is going to do today in our lives. 
We serve a God of the impossible. So I want to end with this, but don't get too excited because I still have five pages of notes left. Some of you were handed a bowl with some mustard seeds in them. And if you spill them, we'll play one million mustard seed pickup. So that would be fun. If you would each take one, just one mustard seed, and hold it in the palm of your hand. There is an event in the Bible that several of the disciples record in their own words in various books of the Bible. And it's this powerful moment that we know as the transfiguration. We've all heard this, this story. Jesus has taken a few of his trusted disciples, Peter, James, and John, up to the top of this mountain. And while they're up there, they have this incredible once-in-a-lifetime experience. The Bible tells us that Jesus is transformed in all of his glory. I cannot even imagine what that must have been like. The Bible tells us that his face shone like the sun and that his clothes were as white as light. And then, if that wasn't enough, these great men of faith who had been dead, Moses and Elijah, these are men that the disciples have heard about. They've been taught about because they are the fathers of their heritage. They show up on this mountain with Jesus. Then, the voice of God comes from heaven and they hear him say, This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. They hear the actual voice of God. So the disciples have this incredible faith-building moment on the mountaintop with Jesus. I can imagine that they were forever changed because of that moment. And then they come down to the bottom of the mountain, and it is a gong show. It is complete chaos at the bottom of the mountain. Glory at the top of the mountain, and chaos at the bottom of the mountain. There's this huge crowd of people. There are a bunch of religious teachers of the Hebrew law. There are Pharisees, and there are the rest of the disciples that didn't get to go to the mountaintop with Jesus. And they're all arguing. Mark chapter 9. What is this arguing all about? Jesus asked. I love that he always asks the question, even though he already knows what's going on. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son so that you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever the spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Jesus said to them, You faithless people. How long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy. But when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion, and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy. 
The Spirit often throws him into the fire or into the water trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean, if I can, Jesus asked. Is anything is possible if a person believes? The Father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. I think some of you in here today would say those very words. I do believe, but I need some help with my unbelief. When Jesus saw the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak, he said. I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared to be dead. A murmur ran through the crowd as the people said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, and helped him to his feet, and he stood up. And then in the book of Matthew, the story continues with this. Afterward, the disciples asked Jesus privately, why couldn't we cast out that demon? You don't have enough faith, Jesus told them. I tell you the truth. If you had faith even as small as a mustard seed. You could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. So I wonder, how can we possibly have any hope of having enough faith to see miracles happen When the disciples who walked with Jesus and saw with their own eyes the miracles happen, how can we possibly have enough faith to ask God to do them in our midst? Well, I think the word of God tells us how that is possible. Romans 10, 17 says this. Faith, then, is birthed in a heart. Birthed in your heart that responds to God's anointed utterance of the anointed one. Faith comes in our own lives when we hear God's word and when we respond to what we hear. And hearing God's word can come in various forms. Hearing God's word can be spending time reading his word. Hearing God's word can be quietly listening to the whispers of God. Hearing God's word can be listening to pastors on podcasts and messages online. Hearing God's word can be making coming to church to hear the anointed word of God that has been prayed over, spoken, and then responding to it. That's how your faith is increased. Hearts that respond to God's anointed utterance of Jesus. But Jesus even warned Peter. He warned Peter. Okay, Peter, the rock, the one who propelled forward this idea of spreading the gospel through the church. Jesus warned him and he said, Peter, my dear friend, listen to what I'm about to tell you. Satan has demanded 
to come and sift you like wheat and test your faith. But I have prayed for you, Peter, that you would stay faithful to me no matter what comes. Remember this, after you have turned back to me, some of you need to turn back to Jesus, and you have been restored, make it your life mission to strengthen the faith of your brothers. Jesus said that you would stay faithful to me no matter what. When life is good, we stay faithful. When life is hard, we stay faithful. When things make sense and when things don't make sense, we stay faithful. When we're tired, when we're worn down, when we don't know our place, when things are a mess, when we are lonely, or when we are living out our dreams, we stay faithful. And then Jesus goes on to say, and that you would strengthen the faith of your brothers and sisters. We see such a powerful example of this in the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was persecuting Christians. He was killing Christians. He was everything against Christians that you could possibly be. But then he has this encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he is forever changed. And he begins traveling to all parts of the world in that time, that area, to all parts of it, taking the gospel to places that had never heard it before, places that were full of sin and wickedness, places that needed to hear about the salvation message of Jesus. And he comes to this place called Ephesus. And for two years, Paul camps out in Ephesus despite opposition. People did not want him there. But crowds would gather to come here. And for two years, he boldly preaches the gospel of Jesus. This is what was happening. Listen. In Acts 19, God kept releasing a flow of extraordinary miracles through the hands of Paul. Because of this, people took Paul's handkerchiefs and articles of clothing, even pieces of cloth that had touched his skin, laying them on the bodies of the sick, and diseases and demons left them, and they were healed. You guys... Paul would touch a piece of clothing and it would be taken to a sick person and they would be healed. That kind of power, that kind of anointing, and I love the beginning of that because it said God kept releasing a flow. That means there's new flow. That means there's new anointing that God is willing to keep pouring out his power on us. Then five years later, From the the time that Paul was in Ephesus, we now find him imprisoned in Rome. He is in prison because he has been preaching the gospel. And Paul writes this letter back to the Ephesians church where all these crazy awesome things were happening. Five years later. This is so anointed and this is so good and this is so for us. Ephesians chapter 3. And I pray. I believe this is 
Yes, a word that was given to the Ephesians, but I believe this is a word for us as a church. Receive this as a word from God to this church. I pray that he, God, would unveil within you the unlimited riches of his glory and favor until supernatural strength floods your innermost being with his divine might and explosive power. Then, by constantly using your faith, the life of Christ will be released deep inside of you, and the resting place of his love will become the very source and root in your life. No longer will we have roots of discouragement and fear and hurt from our past, but the roots in our life will be his love. Then, you will be empowered to discover what every holy one experiences. The great magnitude of an astonishing love of Christ in all of its dimensions. How deeply intimate and far-reaching is his love. How enduring and inclusive it is. Endless love beyond measurement that transcends our understanding. This extravagant love pours into you until you are filled to overflow flowing with the fullness of God. Never doubt God's mighty power to work in you and accomplish all this. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request, your most unbelievable dream, and exceed your wildest imagination. He will outdo them all for his miraculous power constantly energizes you. This church is what we're asking for. God is asking this of us, that we would remain faithful. And this is what we're asking from God, that he would release a flow of extraordinary miracles, that he would release this kind of power, this kind of fresh anointing that will fall on us, that miracles will become so commonplace that we expect them to take place. For us not to settle for good enough or just for getting by, but for a spiritual awakening in your life, in my life, in our church, and in our city. Would you stand up on your feet right now? You hold in your hand one little mustard seed. Jesus said, this is all the faith that it takes for you to say to that mountain, move from here and go throw yourself in the sea. That much faith. But I believe this. As a church and as a people, just like Paul said, God wants to do exceedingly more than we could ask or think. And now I want you to look under your seats. And there's a little bag full of mustard seeds. I believe that God wants to pour out a vat of faith on us. That he isn't giving us just one little seed. He is giving us a whole bag full of mustard seeds that represent the faith that he is pouring out on us. He is ready to do a work in us that none of us have ever seen before. And all we need is for our faith not to falter. All we need is for our hands to be surrendered to him for all of the glory and all of the praise to be his.
So as you hold in your hand this bag of mustard seeds, what are the miracles that you need in your life? How do you need God to show up in supernatural ways? Supernatural intervention in your lives. God is willing to pour this faith out on you. But you need to tell him. And you need to ask him. And you need to expect that he will do it. Would you lift your hands up and would you pray with me? God, we know you are in this place. We know that you are ready to do a work like none of us have ever seen before. God, may we see your power and your presence begin to flow through us as a people, that we would step boldly into faith. That maybe we feel like we just have a tiny little bit of faith, that we begin, begin to believe that you are increasing our faith as we hear your word. That our faith will stand in the gap for someone else's faith who needs a miracle to happen in their lives. Church, I believe that you begin to tell God right now, what are the miracles that you need to see in your lives? You tell them, you ask him, and you watch as he begins to do these miracles in our lives. And we give all of the praise and all of the glory and all of the honor to the one who created us, to the one for whom we exist, for his praise and his glory, for his power, for his name to made, be made famous throughout the world. And it starts right here in this little church, in our city, in our homes, in our lives. In Jesus' name, and we all sit together. Amen.